18 weeks ago was the last time we were, we were all together. 18, I counted that up and I thought, that's unbelievable to think. Does it seem like two days ago and yet it's a blur, but 18 weeks has gone by. I was talking with Bradley in the, the sound booth and weeks ago we had a meeting about when would we get back together, what's that going to look like, and somebody said, oh, church is going to feel so weird, and he goes, I'd rather have weird church than no church, right? But the truth of the matter is the building was closed, but the church has never been closed. The church has been going, you know, we, our home groups, uh, things, people growing, the, the amount of people watching online has like doubled. So good, God's going to work all things for good. I know he's going to work it all for good. He has a plan for us as a community, you as individuals. So let me pray. Father, as we approach the word today, we do it with reverence because we reverence you. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And we ask today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I recognize today that I am but an instrument for you to use to to teach your word. So, Lord, I take that responsibility very serious and ask that you would be the teacher, Lord, and that you would open our hearts, you'd help us put aside all the stress, the, the weirdness, the cares of, of the stress of life right now, God. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't know if you know, there was a, a couple named Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith had two sons, and they named their sons really weird names, okay? They, they named their first son, Mind Your Own Business, and then they named their second son, Trouble. And I don't know if this was like some Hebrew, you know, like they named Jacob, Jacob, because in Hebrew that means he grasps at heels, and so like Esau, he was grasping at Esau's heels. I don't know if that, that's where that came from, but one day, the two boys, they were playing a game of, of hide-and-go-seek, and, go seek. and uh, Trouble goes and hides, and, and mind-your-own-business counts to 100, and he gets, you know, 98, 99, 100, ready or not, here I come. And so he begins to look for him, and he, he looks behind the garbage cans, not there. He looks in the bushes, he's not there. He goes out on the street, and he starts looking underneath the cars on his, his street. And this police officer pulls up and sees him doing that. And he says, son, what are you doing? He says, well, we're playing a game. He goes, what's your name? He said, mind your own business. He said, are you looking for trouble, son? He said, why, yes, I am. Oh, that was brutal. That was what Brian feels like. <laughs> Feel your pain. Okay, I got one more to see if I can top that. There was a dad who had two sons, and he named them Ikey and Mikey. I don't know why. Ikey and Mikey. One day, dad had to go to the grocery store, and uh, he goes out to his car, and he realizes he had forgot the car key. And he yells up at the, at the window, and he says, Ikey, could you throw down my key? So he threw Mikey out the window, Dan, that was brutal. <laughs> Dismissed. <laughs> Brian wrote those jokes. Um, in all seriousness, 2020 has shown us 
that life can change on a dime, has it not? There's a lot of people that have gone through a lot of pain, a lot of circumstances, a lot of adjustments in so many ways, just got bombarded with that. And whenever we go through circumstances that are difficult or pain, how we respond to that exposes or reveals what our hope truly is in. It exposes what we're building our life on. Are we going to shrink back or are we going to press forward? The Apostle Paul totally understood difficulty. He was beaten, persecuted, thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, for preaching about Jesus. And he understood what it meant to, to endure difficult circumstances way beyond what I have or probably most of us have ever experienced. And as I was um, praying about what to do for a new series, I was uh, led in prayer. I heard this phrase, keep the faith. And as soon as I heard keep the faith, I, I thought of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so that was going to be the series, was keep the faith, and we were just going to go through 2 Timothy. And as I continued to, to read and research, I, I noticed right there next to 2 Timothy is just Titus, the little three-chapter book of Titus. And in both 2 Timothy and Titus, he calls Timothy his son in the faith, and he calls Titus his son in the faith. I thought, my two sons, we'll just combine those two together, do both of these books, it'll be great. So over the next nine weeks, we're going to study these books, and it's going to be Labor Day. Doesn't that weird you out to think it's going to be Labor Day? It's like that. This whole time has been crazy. But in this book, Paul is he's writing to two pastors, two young men that he had, had mentored and raised them up, taught them how to do ministry, taught them the gospel, taught them about Jesus. And so what we're going to do is just for the next few weeks, we're going to do 2 Timothy. So today we're going to start in that little book. A couple fast facts about this, this letter. It was Paul's last letter. Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament, right? He would go on his missionary journeys, and then he would leave them, and then he, he wrote many letters to these churches to give encouragement, what, thus what we have in a large portion of the New Testament. And... Paul wrote this from prison. He was in a Roman prison. And the time of writing of 2 Timothy, the reason I thought it was very apropos for where we're at, is the church was experiencing incredible persecution at this time. Um, Nero had burned Rome and blamed the Christians, and Christians were, were being very persecuted. The first 25 years of the early church, the early church experienced explosive growth. People were coming to Jesus left and right. And at, at about year 25, when this persecution happened, it was kind of a, people were pulling back, they were shrinking back. Timothy was tempted to walk in fear. He was tempted to pull back from his calling. So Paul is writing him to encourage him. Timothy was the overseer of, of the church at Ephesus. We just went through Ephesians through our online season that we did. So he was the pastor or the leader of the church at Ephesus. So he's writing him to encourage him. And so when we're, when we're reading this letter, these letters, you have to read it with the, 
the understanding of this is the mentor to the mentee. This is the teacher to the student. This is the father to the son writing, a father to his son in the faith. And so we're going to do the first chapter, all the first chapter today, and I've titled it, Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. How many have heard that cliche before, right? Stephen Covey wrote a book on leadership, the seven habits of highly effective people. And he had these bullet points of things to do to keep your life organized and to be effective. And one of, it, one of them was keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get distracted and sidetracked. And so Paul's trying to help Timothy and reminds him of that. So I want to give you, first of all, three little observations from the text itself. And the first is this, that Paul reminds Timothy of their relationship. That's the first thing he does. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul first met Timothy, we see in the book of Acts in chapter 16, says in, that Paul came to a town called Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and he circumcised him, because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Paul saw something in Timothy. He said, I want this guy to come with me. He will be helpful. I can pour into him, maybe pass the torch on to him one day. And I, find, I think we have to address this thing, though. Why did he circumcise him? Paul, we studied Galatians a couple years ago, and in Galatians, Paul over and over tells them as Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to, to follow all the outward things. The Judaizers were coming in behind Paul and saying, yes, follow Jesus, but you also have to become Jewish outwardly. And Paul in Galatians says, no, you don't have to do that. And I thought, well, why, why did he, he do that here? If you think about it, in the first sense, like if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents, or go to the Google and figure it out on your own. But I was thinking, like, why did he circumcise him? Was, was, was he afraid that maybe Timothy was going to go to the local Planet Fitness and get a workout in, and then clean up afterwards, and then somebody was going to know that he wasn't, you know, fill in the blank there? But then I, I th that's not what it was about. It was about Paul wanted to be all things to all people. He did not want anything to be a hindrance to someone hearing and receiving the gospel. That's why he did it. But think about it. Timothy was 18 years old probably when that happened. So that would not have been fun. So you should be laughing because it is kind of funny. When we get to heaven, he's going to be like, ha ha, that was really funny. But Paul saw something in Timothy. He poured into him. 
and he mentored him, he led him. And years ago at Promise Keepers, I heard a, a guy teach. He said, every one of us need a Paul in our life. We need somebody that we can, we can look up to, somebody that can pour out their wisdom on us, their life experience on us. We all need a Paul. But he said, we also all need a Barnabas. And Bar- Barnabas was Paul's you know, co-laborer on the mission. And so he would, they were, they were I don't know what word I'm looking for, but they were, they were in the same season of their journey with Jesus, I guess, and in their calling. So they, they were able to shoulder to shoulder do this thing together. And then everybody needs a Timothy. You need somebody that you're pouring into. So we need to be poured into. We need to join forces with a Barnabas and then have a Timothy in our life. And the question I would have for you is, do you have those relationships? Is there, a, is there somebody that you look up to that, that has more life experience, more seasoned, uh, can give wisdom to you? You need that. You need a Barnabas. But also look for a Timothy. And you might be thinking to yourself, I am a Timothy. I don't, you know, I need someone to pour into. If that's you, then we want to make sure that we're helping you in your journey with Jesus to be poured into as well, because we're about relationships. We're about community. We're about relational discipleship. I know when I'm, when I'm old and gray, okay, when I'm older, when I'm older, I, I see myself mentoring and helping young pastors, raising up young pastors, because being a pastor, is, it's not an easy gig, and I don't say this for you to feel sorry for me. Um, I did read in Forbes magazine, they said that the three most stressful jobs in in America are to be a university president, a a hospital president, and the pastor of a local church. So pray, pray for pastors all the time, because it's, it's not, Charles Spurgeon said, if you can be happy doing something other than ministry, do that. Because if, if you, if you don't know that you're called, then you get beat up pretty quickly. And it's, it's not an easy, easy thing. So then secondly, Paul reminds Timothy of his relationship with God. He goes on to say, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If Paul had to remind Timothy of the gospel, if he had to remind him of his relationship with God, we need to be reminded. You, you know what I'm saying? We, need, we forget so quickly how much God loves us. We forget so quickly of the, the, the reality of the gospel. We need to, to fan into flame. We need to be rekindled of our, our passion on the inside. Because everything on the outside is trying to make you passionate about everything else but Jesus. So that you would just drift 
get sidetracked, not keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is our relationship with God through Jesus. Paul said, rekindle that gift. Remember that you haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a self-discipline. Remember, Timothy, they were in a crisis, a real, real crisis, and they were being persecuted, and he would have been easy for him to cave in, into fear. Re- preach the gospel to yourself every day, that God has received us into his life. God's received us through Jesus into his relationship. I've been studying and meditating a lot on the Trinity uh, the last several months and listening to some different teachers and reading books and realizing that we kind of give lip service to the Trinity. We, we forget if we don't start with, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and they've been in perfect relationship for eternity past. Think about the relationship that Jesus and the Father have. I, I noticed in Mark's classroom, somebody, one of the kids, they write prayer requests in there. One of the kids had written um, that we would we would uh, know the Father like Jesus does. I thought, that's a great prayer. But, but, but Jesus has brought us into this relationship that the Father, Son, and Spirit have had perfect community, perfect relationship. You've been brought into that. I've been brought into that. In John 14, 20, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Spirit. And he said, on the day of Pentecost, he said, you will know on that day that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. What a beautiful thing. That's the gospel. God received us into his life and into his relationship as Father, Son, through the Spirit. Jesus has rescued us from our enemies of death, of sin. He abolished death. He overcame the sin, and he he destroyed the works of the devil. God loves us. If Timothy needed to be reminded, I know I need to be reminded. And then thirdly, Paul reminds Timothy of their mutual relationship in their calling. He says, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes, them old genes, I guess, but (laughs) thank you, Brian. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus." Even though this is a letter from an apostle to a pastor, it's a pastoral letter, don't think or even you know, entertain the idea that this calling that he's talking about doesn't include you. 
the calling he's talking about isn't just for people who do ministry or do missions or whatever. All of us who follow Jesus have this calling because you have this treasure in you. He said, guard that treasure. And the treasure is the gospel. Paul says in Corinthians that we have this treasure in, a, in the clay pots, you know, jars of clay, that we have this truth of the Father, Son, and Spirit living inside of us. We have the love of God on the inside of us. Let that treasure change you. Let his love change you. And then your calling is to take that love and share it with others and to help others. When you think of the word calling, think of the unique way that God wants you to express your purpose. And you might say, well, I don't know my purpose. Let me help you with that one. Your purpose is to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every person God ever created has that same purpose, to love God, to be loved by God, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Your calling is that unique way God wired you. You're an introvert. You're an extrovert. You have this personality. You have this gifting. You have this ability. How does God want you to express that gift? And your calling's not mine. Mine's not yours. Yours isn't your neighbor's. You have a unique thing that God wired you. Find it. Find it, pray, and use it, and stir it up, and live that others-centered life through your calling. So I want to give you three kind of ways to, to take this main thing, what Paul told Timothy, and apply it to us right now. <clears throat> the first thing is focus on Jesus because he's the main thing. If you don't know how to keep the main thing the main thing, and you're getting distracted on peripheral things, focus on Jesus. Because everything is about him. The quicker <clears throat> that I learn, the quicker I realize, the quicker I acknowledge that my life is not about me, the more I'm going to walk in abundant life. The more you and I will walk in true life. The more we realize we're dying to ourselves so that we can serve others, then we'll be living the Jesus kind of life. In John chapter 1, the first couple verses, it says, and it echoes Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says that by Him all things were created. There's nothing that we can see in this earth, in this universe in the stars, the sun, whatever, was all created by Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke creation into being. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, for by him and for him all things were created and, and all things exist and have their purpose and meaning. You exist because Jesus wanted you to exist. He, you, you're not an accident. You have a purpose. God has a wonderful intention to share his life with you and to share it with others. So anybody in this room that's struggling with, why do I exist? Why am I here? Because God wanted you to be here. He wanted to have a relationship with you. Let that be your identity. Let that push away all those negative voices that are always trying to tear you down. 
tell you you're not going to amount to anything or your life's worthless. That's not the truth. The truth is Jesus. Jesus, who is the biggest deal ever, humbly has relationship with you. Even though everything's about him, he's still a humble God. That's what I love about Jesus. He's humble. It's all about him. So I would say this, don't compartmentalize Jesus in your life. What I mean by that is we compartmentalize by, okay, I have work, I go to school, um, I have relationships, I have my family, I have my hobbies, etc. And then I'm a Christian. That's compartmentalizing. If he's one of those boxes. Jesus is the foundation of, of it all. Take Jesus he, to work, Jesus to school, in your marriage, in your family, in your hobbies, and everything you do is, is being built on Jesus. It's an expression of Jesus. It's, that's how you keep Jesus the main thing in your life when you catch yourself drifting. We get sidetracked and distracted so easy by things that aren't as important. It's so easy to, to fall into that trap. Jesus always kept the main thing the main thing. He kept his relationship with his father. He said, I, I, I never do anything that I don't see the father doing. He walked in the will of his father. He, that was his main thing. I want that to be for me. I want that to be for all of us in here so that we live the kind of life that Jesus intends for us to live. I would say this, arrange your life around the same priorities and practices that Jesus did. When you read the Gospels, when I read the Gospels, when I see something that Jesus seemed to do over and over, like pray or take time for solitude, I, I would write practice. When I see him have a priority, he makes a priority out of something, I write priority. And so the goal is, we, we, that's discipleship, is that we arrange our lives around Jesus' life. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we arrange our lives around his life. Second thing I would say is to nurture and maintain your main relationships in life. Nurture and maintain those, those main relationships that you have. If you're married, your spouse is your main relationship. Yes, God may give you kids. You may want kids. You may already have kids. You may have grown kids. But your kids eventually go to make their own family or to do their own thing. In, in your marriage has to be the priority because if you're a married person, all other relationships flow out of the strength of your marriage, flows out of the connectedness of that. So you got to maintain. you gotta, you got to nurture that relationship. If you're a parent, your kids need your time. Your kids need the best that you got. They don't need leftovers. And I'm not saying this in any kind of condemnation, but... I'm acutely aware that as a parent, this responsibility that we've been given to raise up and train children, we have the, this responsibility brings with it the opportunity to really build our kids up and send them out right or to really screw them up. It's sobering. When you, when you, if you want to be a parent one day, let that sobering reality that you have an ability to mess up your kid, or to let them have a great identity in Jesus and to be loved and to, to know their purpose. 
It's a delicate thing. It's a very delicate thing. Paul, in his relationship with Timothy, he nurtured that relationship. Make sure your peeps, meaning your peeps are your main relationships, make sure they get your very best, that they don't get leftovers. I think that's the key. And then lastly, I would say this. Invest your life in what matters most to Jesus. Invest your life in what matters most to Jesus. When we, this whole COVID thing hit, we started a series called Invested, and we did Time, Talent, and Treasure. Jesus says that we can do three things with our life. We can waste our life, we can spend our life, or we can invest our life in what matters most to him. An investment gets a return. You have a hope for a return on your investment. And Jesus said that if you will invest your life in what matters most to him, you will be rewarded for it in the life to come. He promises that. What's the main thing to Jesus? What matters most to Jesus? Well, a a teacher of Scripture came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, what's the main thing? He says, you want to know what the main thing is? Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the main thing. Guy said, that's the main thing? That's the main thing. Why are we shocked that the main thing would be love, would have something to do with love? God is love. His very nature is love. When you think of the definition of love, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not proud, love doesn't keep record of wrongs, love protects. God is patient. God is kind. God is not proud. God doesn't keep records of wrongs. God is love. So love is the main thing. Here's what I would tell you to do. Do two things this week. Two things to help you stay focused on the main thing. The first thing I would tell you to do is create a habit, a daily habit of receiving and thanking God for his love. If you don't already do that, maybe it's, it's a sticky note on your mirror in your bathroom or in your car, on your way to work, whatever it is, that you take a moment and you take in the love of God. You fan into flame and remind yourself of how much God loves you. Because you have a lot of competing voices right now condemning you, telling you how bad you are, and, and you did this, and da-da-da-da-da, and, and, and competing for your passion in your heart, your affection. You receive, learn to receive and make it a habit on a daily basis. Would you close your eyes and let's do that right now? Let's go to do that together. Heavenly Father, we receive your love. God, remind us right now that we're infinitely and perfectly loved. Infinitely and perfectly. Remind us Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you brought us to the Father and that we're loved unconditionally. And that in that love, there is no changing, there is no turning. That your love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remind us to do this every day, Lord. Where there's hurts in our hearts, brokenness in our minds, let your love overwhelm us. God, go into the brokenness right now. 
go into the parts of our heart that are hardening because of life, because of people. Let your love overcome bitterness, unforgiveness. Remind us of it. Amen. Second thing I would tell you to do is to give his love tangibly to somebody this week. And it might be somebody who either doesn't seem like they deserve it or maybe they're just unlovable. Without raising our hands, do we have people who are unlovable in our lives? We sure do. I know I can be unlovable sometimes. Give love. Love is not a feeling. Let's remember that. Love is action. Love is doing. It's not a feeling. You don't have to feel to give love. You don't have to have an emotion to give love. Love is others-centered. So create a habit of thanking and receiving God's love on a daily basis and then give his love tangibly. Be intentional. Wake up and say, Lord, who needs love today? He'll lead you. He will, he will answer that prayer. I'm going to pray and then give us some quick instructions on, on dismissing. Father, help us to keep Jesus the main thing. Help us to live in the power of your spirit, in your joy, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.